All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful DC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. You know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at VisitCalifornia.com. Hello, my professional homegirls. It's Ebony here, marking this the last episode of the freaking year. <laughs> this year has been nothing short of amazing, and I am so happy and proud of myself because, baby, okay? <laughs> However, none of this would have been possible without my professional homegirls. Your unwavering support has been the key to everything. And my love for y'all runs so, 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 so deep. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I encourage each of you to draw inspiration from these narratives, using them as a pink print for your personal journeys because remember, tough times don't last, but professional homegirls do. Happy holidays, professional homegirls, and may God continue to bless you. Now, on this week's episode, my guest and I dive into the concept of being a ride-or-die chick. She opens up about her journey, recounting the initial stages of meeting her then-boyfriend and the revelations that unfolded as she became deeply invested. While expressing gratitude for his insights into street life, a huge difference from her church upbringing, she openly shares the realization that he might be grooming her into something she wasn't quite prepared for. 
Get ready as I was a ride or die chick part one starts now. So to my guests, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. How you doing? How you feeling? I am doing good and I'm feeling great today. Good, good. Now, why do you think the idea of a ride or die partner has gained popularity within our community? That is a very um, good question. I'm not really sure about the popularity of it, Mm -hmm. um, but I definitely think that um, in today's climate, in today's society, um, being a ride or die is maybe rising to the surface, I would say. You think so? But um, I'm a woman of a particular age, Mm -hmm. and being a ride or die has always been a thing um, on my end anyways. Right, right. Why do you think it's rising now? You don't think it always been how it is now? I feel like, it, especially back in the day, I feel like it was very um, prominent. Absolutely. That's exactly what I'm thinking. That's why I'm saying I'm not sure oh. why it's rising now. I think more attention is being given to it. Um, there are quite a few things that I think that are have always been prominent. Right. But now, because of um, social media and maybe attention being focused on it, mm-hmm. it seems like it's it's rising more. But I think it's always been around. Yeah, that would be my that was going to be my next question. Um, in what ways do you think music and movies and literature has influenced that idea, especially with music? Exact for sure, um, absolutely, especially in the um, African American community. I think with the um, the musical artists that we have now in mainstream. Um, the notion of a female holding down her man is definitely predominant and it's reaching a lot of people, especially um, those that are younger. Yeah. And I say that uh, even in um, music in times past, it's always been a thing. Right, right, right. Do you think being right or die is like, uh, is only geared towards women and not men? Absolutely. I think <laughs> I think that um, even though you have some men that are definitely ride or die, it's almost like it's it's um, kind of more expected for the woman to be right. the, the the one doing the riding and dying. But yeah, absolutely, especially the black woman. <laughs> that part, right, right. You know, I think I was really excited about your story because I feel like you know a lot of women or a lot of people in general will be able to relate to your story. And I also feel like it was literally by the grace of God that you was able to get out of it the way that you did. Cause it could have went completely left. Completely left. And it is definitely nothing but um, the hand of God. Um, I, I do think there, there is a, a fine line between um, being a ride or die type female and stupidity. Facts. And sometimes when love is factored in, that line definitely gets clouded. Yeah. Um, but you should never be of the mind frame of jeopardizing yourself um, for the benefit of saving somebody else. Right. So how did you meet your boyfriend at the time? I was babysitting for a, a friend of mine and a platonic friend of his. And um, he, it literally started as, as a phone conversation, um, being mindful that this all took place 
35 years or so ago. Yeah. So that was days long before cell phones. So you actually had to call somebody house. Right. You know, either with the rotary dial or the push button <laughs> and actually get, get a phone conversation. Right. So, um, the first initial um, interaction began on a, in a traditional phone line um, and him calling for her and um, she not being there. Mm. And um, that happened again. And then on the second time, I mentioned it to her. And she said, oh, yeah, he's a you know a good friend of mine. And he uh, he would really like to talk to you and get to know you. So the second phone call kind of led into um, a conversation. So our initial um, uh, interaction was strictly by phone for several, several months. I want to say maybe six, seven months. We oh, went wow. Through just with the phone conversation. So um, that's the, how it started. Did the homegirl know about his past? And did she tell you about it? Um, no. Mm. Um, I, I think she knew that, you know, he wasn't a model citizen, so to speak. <laughs> right. But um, I don't, I found out later that she didn't know, you know, the full extent of his past um, because, you know, they were just platonic friends. They just had a friendship. And I think that once him and I developed a relationship, that kind of the, what led me to be privy to um, because I didn't know it. Um, you know, initially either. I kind right. of learned as time went in. Right. So what were your initial thoughts about him? Um, I was extremely um, impressed by his level of intelligence. Again, there was an extreme age gap between the two of us. But my mother had always told me that I was an old soul. You know how your granny and your mom would say, you know, you're old soul. You've been here before, what have you. So I was always very mature for my age. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that really um, struck me about him, I'm an avid reader, always have been, always got my nose stuck in the pages of a book yeah. um, or now, you know, listen to an audio or whatever. Um, and the first thing he asked me that stuck was, um, who was my favorite author? Mm. And so that right there was extremely um, impressive to me. He was very intelligent. Um, and extremely easy to talk to. Yeah. You know, when I heard that he asked you who your favorite author was, I'm like, oh, that's a new one. <laughs> Something completely that's different. What I said. <laughs> that was definitely a new one, and it was definitely different. And I don't think I've heard that line since, and that's God knows true. Right, right. Now, you said that there was a big age difference. So I know you was between 16, 18, and he was like either approaching 30 or he was in his early 30s. Looking back, how did that make you feel? Because I know back in the day, a lot of people didn't really pass judgment on age differences. That is true. And back then, I didn't really think it was um, that big of a a deal. Although, you know, it kind of took me by surprise when I discovered it. But by the time I discovered it, I had already became invested um, in to getting to know him. So it wasn't like he told me, you know, initially up front, let me tell you this all right away, because right. um, he didn't. Um, but once he did, it kind of shed light on, you know, the the amount of knowledge and the things that he was, you know, knowledgeable about and teaching me. So uh, at first it really wasn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. But um, now that I look back on that situation and I have daughters myself. Right. Um, it should have been. <laughs> yeah. It should have been a big deal. Yeah. It should not have necessarily been something that even back then that wasn't frowned upon because yeah. um, there can be a level of naive, you know, naivety that um, 
I, I don't care how, you know, intelligent or how old of a soul I was, according to my mom and my grandmother, um, sometimes it's life that teaches you the best lessons. Yeah. And the earlier in life you are, you know, you kind of shade it from some things. Yeah. Facts, facts. And then he also mentioned he was a pimp. Yeah. But he didn't <laughs> tell me that up front either. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, he was very selective in um, now that I look back and, you know, now that I know what I know, he's very selective in some of the things that he did share. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that little situation, because like if you would have told me early on that I'm 30 and I am a um, I am a convicted um, felon, I have um um, drug issues I'm and I pimp. used to be a pimp right I probably would have said yeah I tell my friend you call and I'll uh, let her get back to you so right. quite naturally that's the what you share up front right but I do feel like as I was listening to your story I don't feel like he was grooming you for prostitution I think he was just getting you ready for a street life okay call me naive even now mm -hmm. because I never thought about um him grooming me for prostitution, but I never felt like that's what he was grooming me for. And I, and I didn't feel like he was even grooming me for the streets. Really? Because he kind of liked the idea of me being sheltered from certain things. Mm. Um, I kind of just feel like he, you know, wanted me to, he wanted to be able to teach me things that I didn't know, not necessarily just about the streets, about life period. Right. Um, because at that time, I was extremely, extremely naive to a lot of things. Mm -hmm. The church world is basically what I was raised up in. My mother, um, my mother got saved and gave her life to the Lord um, when I was eight or nine years old. Um, so pretty much that's all I knew. So I didn't have any knowledge of, um, you know, what a pimp. I mean, I knew what a pimp was or, you know, <laughs> drugs and, you know, things of that nature. What experience I did have was very limited. And it's only from, you know, what I saw at a distance. Right. But I also feel like there was a sense of appreciation for the things he did put you on because you were so sheltered and naive. Girl, listen, when I tell you, I know that things happen for a reason. Yeah. And um, I don't regret anything that I've ever went through in life. Nothing, because I do believe that everything happens for a reason. Right. And I do value and appreciate the things that he did teach me, because some of those lessons that I learned way back then still hold true to the day. Facts. One of the things that, you know, um, he said to me early on, you know, on top of age is only a chronological proof of existence. I mean, that's the line he used when he wanted to finally <laughs> confess his age. But he also taught me about self-preservation. Mm. Um, and to always make certain that I look out for myself first. Um, so I, I'm definitely indebted to him for a lot of things that um, he taught me. And they still ring true even to this day. Yeah. You know, I believe in that, too. I feel like the way of the world is the, or it's, it's a saying that says the way of the universe is to look out for self. Because ain't nobody going to hold you down like how you hold yourself down. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, you were, you were also employed by a check cash in place where you work your way up to management. So tell us about that and how your boyfriend will always put emphasis on safety. Okay, so one of the things that, you know, and the, the life lessons that he, you know, began to teach me 
Um, number one, he told me not to be so trusting. Um, after I started talking to him, you know, he said, you know, you're you're very trusting. So you probably shouldn't be, you know, be this trusting. Um, giving him so much of my time over the phone, sharing things with him, mm. um, you know, about my life experiences and the things that I was going through then. Um, and he was right. I definitely, um, I was definitely very trusting. Um, so um, as I began to, our relationship began to develop. And um, by the time I got employed at the check cashing company, um, that was something that he would always say to me is stop being so trusting. You know, you know, you can't trust everybody. Every Everything that you see is not, you know, surface, you know, That's a um, fact. in a Christian home, you all you're taught to see the best in people. Mm-hmm. And and that is definitely something that I did and still do, you know, for, for the most part. Um, but when I got the job, one of the things that I mean, I'm, I'm extremely excited about this um, at this point in my life. Um, you know, my career or work, my work experience was limited, you know, starting off in McDonald's and, um, you know, um, then I started working through temporary agencies and things of that nature. So my work experience was very limited. So once mm-hmm. I got this position, when I started the job, you know, told him about it and things like that, he was, you know, very encouraging. I was like, good for you. You know, when I went for the interview, I didn't think I would get it. And he was like, no, you got to stop thinking like that. Right. Um, and then when I got it, it was like, I told you to start having faith in yourself. And um, so I was very excited about it. So quite naturally, because I'm so excited about it, I talked about it, you yeah. know, like, you know, this is what I do, blah, 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 you know. So, and then I'm thinking, looking back, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Right. Um, I'm thinking that, you know, how you share with your mate your day, what you did, that that was basically what we were doing. Sharing our, I'm sharing my day, sharing what I, what I did. But again, because he always taught me not to be so trusting, he would always tell me, um, you know, like um, things like keep my car door locked, um, make certain that I don't carry around so much cash in my purse, um, you know, things like that, stuff that I didn't have a father figure in my life. So he took that place. Um, and my mother never told me that, right. I, you know, my mother was <laughs> just as trusting as I was. So when, when, uh, working at the check cashing company, I would say, you know, this happened or that happened, you know, periodically he would say things like, you know, make certain you always remember self-preservation. You got to look out for yourself. You can't trust everybody. Um, you know, make certain that when you leave there, you, uh, you know, go straight to your car after dark, things of this nature. Um, so right. I'm just thinking I'm sharing with the person that, uh, you know, that I'm in a relationship with my, my day-to-day activities. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue with its powerful DC turbo engine. Well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. 
These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Hey, guys. You know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Did you ever feel a way about about your mom not putting you on to certain things? Like, have that? You ever thought about that? Well, the relationship with me and my mom is a whole other situation all by itself. Right. Um, but my mother is one of the strongest individuals that walks the planet earth mm. and i tell her all the time she is my my hero my mother has gone through things in life that have clouded her judgment and her perspective on life life will do it to you um, certain things because of what she was subjected to and what she endured um as a child and as an adult right um but my mom um was not as present as she needed to be Mm-hmm. And that is because, as far as I'm concerned, once she became a part of the church, the church was her life. And, you know, instead of her family and her children being primary, the church became primary. So there was more attention and focus put on the church than it was on her children. And there were years, years that mm-hmm. I regretted her or I had regret and um, anger toward her because of that. Um, but her and I were able to work through it, especially once I learned um, some of the things that she endured in life. Right. It's kind of like, you know, just knowing about your story and doing research. It, it sounds like it's a full circle moment because if I'm not mistaken, you were first lady of a church, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. The same church I denounced and said I'd never be a part of, child. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But I believe, too, that God allowed me to see, suffer, and endure certain things so that now that I'm in position, I won't let history repeat itself. Right, right. Now, tell us about the day that you were robbed, which I thought was crazy. (laughs) 
she looking at me y'all through her glasses <laughs> <laughs> so um it was just it was a you know a typical day for me um again as i said before i had gotten this position and worked my way up i was in one location and i did so well in that location that they decided to open up a second branch and then once I went to the second branch and got properly trained, I, you know, climbed up the ladder and that branch was mine. So um, on, a, on any given day, I go in, I, you know, unlock the door, unalarm the building, get everything all together, you know, for uh, for business. So it was a typical day. Right. Um, and it was a summer day. I do remember that because I remember how bright the sun was that day. And um, on this day, um, in this check, check cashing company, you enter into the front door and you're in a lobby. And then directly in front of you are, you know, three windows where tellers work behind these windows and you are blocked in by bulletproof glass. Right. And then there's like a pass through window that you get your ID and you pass back the money and so forth. So on and so forth. So at this time, though, I'm on the outside of in the lobby Mm -hmm. and um, shining the windows and, you know, doing things of that nature. Um, It was a slow time. So I just went out and I'm doing this and. Um, when you come through the door, it automatically rings. Like, you know, the uh, bell rings, let you know somebody entered. Right. Um, so as soon as I heard the bell enter, of course, I go straight to the door. Um, and the door is, you know, you had to put a key in to open up the door. So I, I'm going to unlock the door. I said, I'll be right with you. I did say that. Be right, right with you. And I went to the door to unlock it, to get back there in order to, you know, get in front of the window and handle business. But when I proceeded to unlock the door... Um, the, there was a, a young man who said to me, um, do exactly what I tell you and you won't get hurt. Mm. Right. Um, so beside, uh, and he put a gun to my back. Um, so initially, of course, fear, right. terrified. Um, that's the first thing that struck me. But then the second thing that I remembered, um, because this is something that was told to me repeatedly, is if anything ever happened and somebody come in there and they try to rob this, try to rob the place, don't you ever be a hero. Right. You do exactly what they tell you um, in order to, you know, self-preservation again. Um, so even though I'm terrified, I unlock the door and I go to the back um, and I'm doing exactly what he said. He said, take me to the safe. Um, I took him to the safe. Um, and then I, he cleared the safe and then he said, take me to the registers. And so wow. I did that. I took him to the registers. He took everything that, you know, everything he could good, he'd get. Um, but as quickly as it happened, it's as quickly as it was over. Um, I hit the panic button because there is a button up under the counter, um, like a silent button that you're supposed to push. And um, um, police and everybody was there within, right. uh, within a few minutes. Wow. And did you think you was going to die in that moment? At that particular moment that the gun was put to my back and my little, little young life flashed before me. Right. Um, all I wanted to do was survive to get out of that situation. Um, and all I, I remember, you know, thinking in my head is just do what he say, do what he say. I can, rem I, I rem I can remember being so nervous. And I do remember him saying, just do what I say. I'm not going to hurt you. Just do what I say. I'm mm. not going to hurt you. Even though people tell you that you got a gun. You right. So I, yeah. Like, right. You know what I'm saying? So. Um, yeah, at that particular moment in time, I wasn't sure whether or not I was going to make it out of that situation alive. That right. was definitely one of my fears. You know, they got to close down check cashing places because I feel like those places are not safe. I would agree. I would definitely agree. But I can also tell you they'll probably never go away. 
Yeah. Because there's always somebody out here who, had, you know, can't get a legitimate banking account for whatever reason or another. So, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's to me, it's it's perpetuating crime within the inner city because Fact. you know it's usually those that are that are um, underprivileged and you know that that can't afford to or for whatever reason you know can't get a bank account or checking account. So I don't think they're going nowhere no time soon. Thirty five years later, it's still going. Yeah, and then like you said, it's a, to, for me. I feel like every check cashing place that I saw see is in the hood. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Well, you ain't gonna see them in the suburbs. Right. They're definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely in the hood. So y'all want something to happen. That part. Wow. That's crazy. So when you spoke to the detectives, and I can only imagine how much of a nervous wreck you was, he gave you a pill. Was it ecstasy or something? Well, the um, uh, uh, when I hit the button and the cops came from everywhere, quite naturally, by the time I hit that button is when all of my emotions just started flooding out. Right. Um, boo and crying, you know, the, all of that, the whole shebang. When they came in, you know, I'm extremely nervous. The, the police came in. Um, and a, a detective showed up, the owner of the facility came and I'm a bubbling mess. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I couldn't, I ain't never cried so hard. So <laughs> I didn't talk to them initially that day because I was a mess, Right. you know? So, um, I was given a card and said, you know, we, gonna, we need to talk to you so you can give us a formal statement and, um, you know, just get a, get, we'll give you a day or two and reach out. And then, you know, we, we do need to get a formal statement on record or on file. Um, so yes, that came the time for me to talk to them. Um, it was only a couple days later. Mm -hmm. Um, I called uh, the detective, set up a time. He said, you know, come into, um, the police department. We just need to get your, um, statement on record. And then it's also customary for you to do a, a lie detector test in order to rule you out as a suspect, because, Mm -hmm. um, sometimes when these things happen, it's an inside job. Right. So a few days later, I did go down to go down. Of course, I called him, told him everything that happened. And, you know, you okay? And all of this and all of that. And um, I'm so glad that you're okay. And, you know, told him everything that, you know, the detectives had to say. And so when it was time for me to go down to um, visit the detectives, he said, I'll take you. We're on our way down to the detectives. And he's saying to me, "Um, you got to make certain that you call and that you, you know, because uh, the 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 lie detector test picks up your emotions, right? You know, this is this is you know. So and me, I'm a still a bubbling mess, right? You know, even <laughs> a couple of days later, I, I'm still a bubbling. I'm still a mess, like because, like you know, that was like the most horrible thing at that point in my life that had ever happened to me. Yeah, go so, to I your mean, back. I'm, I'm on my way down to the detectives, crying like a rat eating rat eat onions, right? You know, so he's like, you know, you got to calm down, you got to relax, you got because these. You know, when, they, when they, they're going to talk to you and then when they give you this lie detector test, you you know, you you got to be um, you, you got to be calm. Um, so as we were going down there and I'm crying, you know, he's telling me to get myself together. And he said, listen, here, I'm going to give you this and you put this under your tongue and it's going to help you relax. Now, the, looking back retrospectively, I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah, I, I wasn't at that particular moment. Um, I just really wanted to get that part of my life over and move on um so yeah he gave me a pill and it dissolved under my tongue i went in and i met with the detectives they took a formal statement i signed my statement i completed a lie detector test this interview took several hours several hours do you think they thought you had you was a part of it 
you know, because I'm I'm a black girl and I'm working in an establishment that um, handles a lot of money. Yeah. And this establishment was not owned by a black girl. <laughs> um, so I think initially, quite naturally, they they were suspicious of whether or not I had anything to do with it. Right. But in my naivety, I didn't think that, though. I didn't, mm. I didn't think that. Right. I, I didn't. At that particular time, I didn't. I didn't think that. And do you know what type of pill that you took? A Valium. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, that'll calm you down. <laughs> yeah, it was a Valium. Wow. So when did you start to realize that something wasn't right about the robbery and your boyfriend? Okay, so... The interview took place with the detective. I, you know, they, I passed the lie detector test. I was ruled out as a suspect. Right. So when I'm having this conversation with him and, and you know, and I should have known looking back um, because uh, my boyfriend was the kind of person that, you know, drop you off and pick you up type thing, <laughs> but he stuck around. He didn't leave. He stuck around. I should have known then that was odd because that was odd for him. Right. So um, after it was all over and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I go out and him and I are going and we, we were headed to get something to eat. And he's like, you know what I'm saying? I'm so glad this is over. I'm so glad this part of my life is um, by. I did not ever go back to the check cashing company. I didn't want to have no parts. I wanted a secure job from then on. Right. Like, you know, no, that was too, it was too close for comfort for me. Um, So I'm saying this to him, like, okay, yep. I'm so glad this is over. So glad, you know, I can move on with my life now and get this behind me. And so, you know, later on that day, as the day went on, you know, he he, he was say, he said to me, I got something to tell you, um, but I don't want you to judge me. <laughs> That's how he started it. So I'm thinking at this point, like, uh, because by now I've, I've kind of learned quite a bit about you, sir. That, right. You know, I, I, I probably should have judged you for, sir. Um, but I still maintain a relationship with you. So I'm thinking to myself like, oh, okay. So, so, so what else is it that I don't know? And so he said, um, I was actually behind it. He didn't say I was behind the robbery. He just said, I was actually behind it. So I said, behind what? Wow. And then, you know, that's when he confirmed it for me. Wow. That is crazy. Because the fact that you had a gun to your back and at this point, you're a mother of two? Yep. Wow. I'm a mother of two. Um, I wasn't even 20 years old yet, I don't think. And it was like one of the most traumatic things that had ever I can imagine, yeah. And then to know, and even thinking back, it just... I still get emotional thinking back because to know that it was behind us, like, really? Right. Um, And then, you know, he just kept reassuring me, you know, he wasn't going to hurt you. The gun wasn't loaded. Um, But it was at that particular moment that I really, really realized how diabolical this guy was yeah why do you think you stayed after that you think it was because of the kids um i i don't i don't i don't even want to say it was because of the kids i i want to say that it was mainly because of the connection and the 
love that I thought I had for him. Right. Uh, he was my first of many things. Mm. Um, and he was, um, at that point, a very integral part of my life. Right. Um, and I convinced myself that even though he was behind it, that he was not going to allow me to be hurt. Because hmm. you were yeah. still here. Yeah. Yeah. And then I know you mentioned that he was on drugs. Did you know he was on drugs at the time or did he hide nope. it from you? Absolutely did. Mm. He absolutely did. Now, I don't want to give the impression that I thought that this was a model citizen that I was dealing with. <laughs> okay, right, right, so right. Yeah, I mean, you listen, I, I and I never I never shared this story publicly mm-hmm. in depth until recently. Um, and because I am a carrier of the gospel, so I go around, I go all over the country and, you know, I speak at different churches and on different platforms and different things. So I have given bits and pieces of it. Right. But I never really gave, you know, the the the, the history behind it, so to speak. So I don't want anybody to think I thought I was dealing with a modest model citizen. OK, um, this young man at this time, he had two degrees. Um, so he was a college graduate. Mm. He had a job at Channel 13, um, which is one of our local TV stations. As a, you know, he worked behind the scenes with the cameraman and extremely intelligent, had a lot going on in life. But I also knew full well that he wasn't a model citizen. Right. You know, I mean, I knew that, you know, I mean, I'm with him. So I know full well that he was not perfect. I knew he had a, he had a past. I knew um, that he had uh, he had previously been married. I had been introduced to, you know, his ex-wife and his oh, children. Wow. And stuff. But, so I knew this man was not a perfect person. Right. So to speak. But I did not know the depths of what he was battling with until after um, this robbery took place. And of course, the funds for the robbery gave him the ability to have his drug, his drug of choice, um, you know, because he had plenty of money to do it. Right. And, and I think that was ultimately what led down, you know, the rabbit hole to, um, you know, what was to come. Right. What made you decide to start sharing your story? Because I can tell, like... You're, I, I do feel like you're being transparent, but I also feel like you're holding back a little bit. And I felt like that in the other interview. Is it because of, you know, you are a first lady or is the story just embarrassing or like, how does it make you feel to share your story? Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that you asked that question. Let me address the transparency first mm-hmm. and um, the possibility of the perception of holding things back right um my husband my husband and i have been married it'll be 32 years in february oh nice yeah so um my husband knows my story is an open book to him and um well he plays a part in your story yeah 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 so yeah we can get into that a little bit later now my children were not privy to the details of this story Mm. until this year. Oh, wow. Okay. So they knew about the surface of it, but they they were not privy to the details until this year. So some of my hesitation 
was not so much what other people were going to think. Right. Because I feel like one of the things that I bring to the table um, as a first lady is they'll baby they'll tell you my church babies to tell you I keep it real. Yeah. Okay. Because I grew up in a in a society in a generation that always told us what to do but didn't necessarily show us how to do it. Right. So I'm not ashamed of my past. I'm not ashamed of, um, I I had children out of wedlock. I got pregnant at 16 years old while in the church. Mm -hmm. All of these things took place while I was in the church. Yeah. Um, Where a lot of people kind of frown on where they came from and, you know, don't necessarily want to dive off into it. I'm not ashamed of it. Mm -hmm. Um, My hesitation is in the perception and the backlash that my children will get as a result of this story because this story involves their, their father. father. Yeah, facts. Involves their father. Yeah. So there is my, that was my only, you know, so some of the things that I'm thinking in my head as I respond, you know, I, I just want to make certain that as a mother, I'm the one that chose him. They didn't choose to be born. They didn't choose to be brought here. I made those choices, good, bad, or indifferent. So I did not want my children to uh, suffer backlash as a result of me sharing a story that had to do with their father. Right. So how do they feel about you sharing the story now? Um, the only reason I'm sharing the story as I look back at you again over my glasses (laughs) is because of his children, the children that him and I share together. Mm -hmm. When I, um, we recently had a a trip to Puerto Rico, a girl's trip to Puerto Rico. They're both, they're both daughters. Mm -hmm. And we had a girl's trip to Puerto Rico. And, and and on this trip, it was a very bonding experience. It was a very cleansing experience. And it was an experience that gave me the opportunity one-on-one, un- uninterrupted, no grandchildren, no children, no spouses. Just Where women. we were just able to bond and connect with each other. Yeah. And I shared the nuts and bolts of this story. Oh, wow. And this is only a paragraph of my life, sweetie. I know people, when I once this story got out, I was like, don't you not know that that's, that's only a paragraph in this book that I called life? Right. So once I explained and, you know, got into the nuts and bolts of it with my daughters, after crying and, you know, all of the things that went into hearing everything that I went through as it relates to just this story. Yeah. My daughter said to me, mommy, you got to tell your story. Mm-hmm. There are so many people that could benefit from your yeah. transparency. You have been transparent in, with us and other people as it relates to certain things, but only so far. Mm-hmm. And so the entire reason that I decided to share this story openly is because of my youngest daughter. Yeah. And the fact that she felt that this generation is hungry for truth. Yeah. This generation is hunger, hungry for transparency. This generation, you know, they kind of look up to who I am now, mm-hmm. the things that I've accomplished in life and where I am now. But y'all ain't got a clue what I went through in order to get here. Yeah. Fact. So um, my daughter, that's that's the, that's the whole reason that this journey of sharing um, on a public platform, this story anyways, came into fruition. And I'm telling y'all, she's a woman of a certain age, but she don't look like it. (laughs) (laughs) 
she did that a lot. Listen, she's looking like she in her late twenties, early thirties. <laughs> <laughs> I get that a lot. I get that a lot. So, um, yeah, but um, again, like I said, that this is just a small a, a small segment of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I am definitely one of those um, from from ashes to where I am now. Yeah. Um, if it had not been for the transforming hand of God. Um, because after that relationship, I was a broken and shattered and crushed individual um, mm. that um, chose not to see neon signs that were being flashed at me from everywhere. Right. If red flags was a person, I would be the poster child for it. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. AT&T connects and old to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the driving to work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Do you think you would share other parts of your story? Because I do feel like this is just oh, one yes. chapter. Yeah. Oh, most certainly. Absolutely. Yeah. This right here, 
Um, also, um, I'm, I'm writing a memoir. Oh, nice. And um, I began that process. Um, uh, one of the things that this gentleman also presented to me at a very young age, and that's why I say to this day, there's lessons that he taught me that I could ever stand on. Right. And that is the power of journaling. Mm -hmm. I began to journal at a young age. And so um, I maintain that journaling. And so um, I have oodles and oodles and oodles of journals of my experiences. Um, hmm. And I did them for therapy um, because I couldn't, I didn't really have anybody to talk to. So I would always let it out in my book mm -hmm. or in my, in my journals. Um, and then once I started, like, this is my life. So I never thought about it as, you know, being so shocking or being so, you know, <laughs> unbelievable or, you know, right. like, wow, like it, it was my life. Yeah. So it was not something that was, I want to say that big of a deal. Yeah. Until I started showing, sharing bits and pieces of it. Yeah. Then when I started sharing bits and pieces of it, people looking at me like, you, 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 you went through what? You, yeah. you, you say, well, I'm like, yeah, y'all. And you don't look like your story. So <laughs> that part. Yeah. So people are shocked. Yeah. Absolutely. So yes, this is just the, um, the beginning of, of uh, me sharing, um, the, the, the battles that I went through. Yeah. In order to get to where I am now. I will say, when I was listening to your story, I do feel like you held him into a, a high regard. Like, even though he did some stuff that we can side out on, I never felt like you bad-mouthed him in a sense. Like, you can... I, I honestly do feel like you can tell that the, the, the love you had for him was deep and it was sincere. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. Again, I, let me reiterate. He was my first of many, many things. And he, at his core, you know, because this is something that was not, you know, um, displayed in that first interview. Um, again, you know, I, I understand that, that they were looking for clickbait. And I get that. That's OK. Right. I understand that. But at his core, he was a good guy. Yeah. OK. Just a person that was battling a lot of demons. Yeah. A person that came from a troubled childhood of his own. But at the core, he was a good guy that taught me a lot of life-sustaining lessons. Yeah. He just was battling his own demons. And um, I definitely held him to a higher regard than I even held myself. Mm. And that relationship, though, is um, a relationship that taught me a lot of valuable things in life. But it was also... Um, one of the most crushing experiences I ever had because I had to then look back and see that um, not that there wasn't love on both sides. Right. Um, because to a certain degree, I believe that there was. But I know for surety or for certainty that there was more investment on my side than on his. Right. There were so many different times that I was put in harm's way that my that me and my children were put in harm's way. Yeah, I remember. But I you... didn't even have the sense to realize. Yeah, just how many dangerous situations that I got myself into. I remember you mentioned a trip to Columbus, and he purchased. That's when he purchased the gun, and then he wanted yes. to teach you how to shoot it. Yes, um, because I was fearful. Yeah, this is the first time I had ever seen a real gun, um, and you know. I was extremely fearful. I used to be 
a very, um, I know a lot of people won't be able to believe this. I'm going to let the hustle out. I'm going to let it out there because everybody, you know what I'm saying? They look at me right. like I'm a G. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. I used to be extremely timid and shy. Mm. Very timid and very shy. Okay. I know you can't tell that now, but that's who I was. Mm -hmm. So a lot of those walls, he helped to bring down. Um, because like the moment I lay my eyes on the gun, I'm like, <gasps> right. You know, like, oh my God, get it away from me. Like, you know what I'm, I'm like petrified. Like, you, and he like, no, uh-uh, no, you ain't gonna do that. No, I, you, you touch it. And mm. I, I, girl, I thought, I, I thought Jesus, Mary and Joseph was coming after me when I touched that gun. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I'm like, um, you know, so a lot of those walls he brought down. You know, like, no, you're not going to be afraid of it because it's going to be around. Yeah. You know, it's, it's here for protection. And in order for you to get over your fear, you're going to have to touch it. You're going to have to hold it. Wow. And I'm looking at him, and at, you know, like, mm, no. But I listened and I felt better about myself, however strange that might sound. Right. Okay, y'all know what y'all mean. <laughs> however strange that might sound. I felt better about myself once I actually picked it up, touched it, held it. You know, I thought I was good. Mm. He was like, no, I'm going to show you how to shoot it. Wow. I'm like, oh, no, I don't even know how to shoot it. I'm all right with you having it. You know, I'm all right with you. You know, I didn't touch it. Right. You know what I'm saying? But I'm, I don't, there's no need for me to be able to have to. You just never know when you ever have yourself in a situation where you need to learn, know how to use it, is what he said. Mm. And I want you to always be able to pr protect yourself. Remember, self-preservation is key. Yeah. So he taught me how to shoot it. Wow. But then you, when did you start to think like, oh, he had other uh, motives for this? To this day, I really don't think he did. Mm. I, to this day, I really don't think he did. I really think what he was trying to show me or to teach me is the things in life that a father never did and a mother never would. I really, to this day, I really think that, you know, because that's just part of one of the things he taught me. You know, I just think he was trying to educate me right. um, on life because I had been so sheltered. Yeah. I really don't. And I could be wrong, but in my perception, I don't think that's, I don't think he had a motive other than educating me. I mean, like I, I'm, I'm a person that I never smoked, mm. something I never did. Um, I never drunk. I, when I tell you I live a, a sheltered life, I, I've never, you know, my, my only, my one and only experience with alcohol is, you know, my, my, my brother challenged me to a dare and the long and the short of it is he wanted me to get sick as a dog. So I would never touch it. So I had one encounter in 55 wow. years with alcohol. So when I tell you I'm sheltered, I'm like, I didn't know, you know, nothing. And he knew this. So like, um, he would, he was a marijuana smoker. I never was no matter, but he wanted me to learn how to how to roll a blunt. <laughs> and I'm thinking like, okay, kudos to me. Right. Here's this church girl who knew nothing but Bible study and, and you know prior practice and you know usher board this and usher board that, and I knew how to roll a blunt <laughs> and fire a gun. Right. <laughs> no, I know you felt good about yourself. Hey, that part, you could tell me nothing. Right. So at this time, though, and even looking back all of these years later, I really don't think he had a motive mm. because it, I just think he was just trying to teach me things that I didn't know. Yeah. Or things you're going to find out eventually. That part. Yeah. yeah that part. <laughs>
Yeah. So tell us about the day when the um, detective detective showed up to your house. Okay. Let me tell you this really quick before I jump to the detective story. His drug of choice was crack cocaine. This was during the crack cocaine and and, um, it was um, an epidemic in our society, especially in the African-American community. His drug of choice was um, crack cocaine. Okay. Um, And so um, at this time, I had multiple family members who were addicted to crack cocaine. So I was witnessing this addiction all around me. Right. As well as his. Okay. Um, And this is after the robbery. So now he has he has the means in order to um, perpetuate the use of this crack cocaine on a consistent basis. Wow. So I can remember, and, and I think this is very important to say, I can remember thinking to myself, what is it about this drug that has everybody going wild? Right. I can remember thinking this. So I can remember saying to him, let me try it. Because I want to know what everybody else is so, you know, going gung-ho about. Right. Child, one of the things he's never been was a violent person. Okay? That's mm-hmm. one thing, by the grace of God, that he wasn't. Right. When I tell you I saw another side of him when I asked that question, because he said to me, and he said it very pointedly, he said, listen, don't, don't you ever let me hear you say that, and don't you ever let me find out that you did any type of dibbling, dabbling, inquiring wow. about cocaine ever again in life. Do you hear me? Voice raised, eye to eye. Like the whole, that was the most aggressive right. that I had ever seen him. So I feel like if he was trying to, um, you know, to get me into, a, you know, like people were saying grooming or whatever, he'd let me come along on that addiction right along with him. Yeah, that's a good point. Most people like doing that with other people. Yeah. But he was adamant. That angered him. And he said, don't you ever. That's a curiosity you will never learn. Wow. Okay, so that was the one, and that still sticks out to me to this day, um, because he could have very easily said, yeah. "Okay, here you go," you know. Yeah. But no, he was extremely upset with me for even asking the question, because again, I would ask questions about you know things, a lot of things that I didn't understand. Yeah. And that was the first time he shut me down. He shut me down right fast and in a hurry. I and thank how... God he did. Yeah, yeah. I wonder thank how God he. he did. I wonder how he got on. I don't know that. I'm not sure. But I do know he that was an addiction that he didn't want me to have to wrestle with. Yeah. And when I say I'm grateful to God that he took the stance that he did yeah. at that particular time, because I had been thinking it in my head. I just didn't say nothing. But finally, I said something. And the moment he said what he said, that was it for me. I'm like, oh, say less, sir. Right. Say less. <laughs> You got it. But I just had to put that in there because my life could have took a total different turn yeah. had he actually agreed and said, you know, at this time, money wasn't a problem, an issue. You had all this money. And then the drug was around all the time. I smelt it. I saw him do it. I saw my different family. I, so it was all around me. Yeah. So my life could have taken a total different turn had he not been so adamant that that was not a direction that I would ever, ever, ever go in if he had anything to do with it. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So back to when the 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 the, the day the uh, detectives um, got in touch with me. Um, 
So at this time, I'm still living at home um, with my mom. Mm-hmm. And um, my mother and my stepfather had actually helped to purchase my first car. So um, at, and at this point, he didn't have a car. Mm-hmm. So um, I would let him use mine. But my mama didn't know. Because <laughs> my mama would have killed me, child. <laughs> so my mama didn't know. Right. So... He had my car um, because, you know, I'm at home, I'm asleep. And, you know, as long as he got it back to me the next day for time for me to go to work, you know, no harm, no foul. So I get a phone call, landline phone call again, and it was late and it was him. Mm. And he said, um, you know, and and let me throw out that he was he was a compulsive liar. You know, oh, he was definitely a compulsive liar. But anyways, um, I was upset because he hadn't brought my car back. Right. And and it's late. So when he calls me, the first thing I say is, man, where is my car? My mom going to kill me. And he say, calm down, calm down. You uh, you got to listen to me. I, I, something happened. Something happened. And he then proceeds to tell me that, you know, he got shot. So I'm like, okay, yeah, but where my car at? Like I said, he's, he's a bitch with light. Like, oh, okay. So where my car at? Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm fearing my mama at this point. Like, bro, my mama about to kill me. Yeah, like, where is my, my car? car? Right. That's my, that's what I kept saying. Like, okay, so like, where's my car? You know, then he was like, no, you must not be, you ain't understanding me. You know, like, so, and he, again, he woke me up out of a sleep too. So all I was thinking about is like, okay, bro, where's my car? So he really didn't go into detail about how he had gotten shot. And at that point in time, when I hung the phone up, I didn't believe he had gotten shot anyway. Right. I just thought that this was a lie he telling, perpetuating, because he no good and too well that he still had my car. Right. He wanted to keep so it longer. A few hours later detectives knock on our door and they wake my mom up and so you know i got my, my mother comes to my door and she like child get your tail up some detectives downstairs um wanting to talk to you about about something something that didn't happen you better not be bringing no shame to my door you better not be having these folks my, my, my baby when i tell you my mama wasn't no joke <laughs> <laughs> so i'm like mom i'm getting up because it's like the crack of dawn you know right. it's, it's very early go we gotta go and here are these detectives and they they proceed to tell me that um asked me did I know this individual and I said yes Mm. and then they said that um there was a crime committed on the interior of my car and that he was shot and at this time he was at the hospital so you know remember he called me and I thought he was lying and then they proceeded went on to tell me that there was another gentleman that was shot but he died as a result of his injuries wow so they say you know so there was a homicide um committed on the interior of your car wow right so at this time my whole world you know like i'm like are you kidding me and of course become my mama her car what you mean her car her car outside yes <laughs> mama don't have sound, no clue sound like a black mama <laughs> Baby, listen. <laughs> so you know, then I had to fess up to Mama that you know, yeah, he had been driving my car, and so the detectives found me quite naturally because the car was registered to me. In your name, right? And yeah, and then my name. So that's what you know um, brought them to my door. You think this was the first time he called a body? No, it wasn't. Wow. No, it wasn't. Wow. It he, wasn't. He was different, man. <laughs> Yeah, but okay, but but in his defense, <laughs> he's still the father of my girl's children. He's still the father of the no, children. respectfully, respectfully, absolutely. Yeah, he's still the father of my children. The first body he caught was as a result of someone who was beating his mom. Oh, but yeah. 
Yeah. So that, yeah. So, and that is something that, you know, he shared with me later on in the relationship. This concludes part one of this week's episode. Part two is dropping next year in 2024. So Merry Christmas, everyone, and have a beautiful, happy new year. Until next time, later. The Professional Home Girl Podcast is a production of the Black Effect Podcast Network. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. And you can connect with me on social media at the PHG Podcast. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.